Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I am at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram under I Love That Movie Podcast. Um, And we also have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. And my only rule in there is keep it positive. Uh, And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It really helps new listeners find us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, Last thing I want to plug is we're like a week out from Dragon Con, and we will have a panel there August 31st, uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. at the Hilton in Room Galleria 6, and we are talking aliens, which is super exciting. Really pumped about that. Hope to see you guys there. And if you can't make it, there will be a live episode, so we will upload that sometime when I get back. But I'm, so I'm about to be on a hiatus a little bit. Uh, we'll be gone for about a, you know, we'll probably miss two weeks <laughs> of episodes just because I won't be in town. But um, looking forward to that. And I want to bring on a guest today. Uh, say hi, Steven. Hello. How are you, Lisa? Doing well. And did I say that right? Do you go by Steve or Steven? I, I generally go by Steven on the internet. Okay, I don't know okay. why all my handles say Steve because <laughs> I let people call me Steven. So I don't know what I don't know what I was thinking, to be quite honest. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so Steven, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I love this podcast. I've, I've listened to it ever since I found out you had one. Oh, awesome. uh, and it's it's amazing. I'm having a great time with it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Steven Adams. I'm one half of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. It's a podcast where we cover weird and odd news every week. And we usually go off the rails and end up telling really weird stories from our own lives and just kind of having a good time and cutting up. Um, I also stream on Twitch with my friends as, a, as part of our community called Two Dorks. Uh, you can find that all of the information about all that at uh, legionofdorks.com, uh, which is what we, we love to call our, our wonderful community. They are the Legion, and we are really excited to most of us be descending upon DragonCon yeah. Uh, next week, alongside you, I'm super pumped to be joining the ranks of of other great podcasters and doing a show live and being a part of that that crazy thing. We've dreamed about that since 2010, and since the first time we were there, we we're like, maybe we can do a podcast at DragonCon one day. Same, um, same. Like the second I started doing the show, I was like, whoa, wouldn't that be so amazing? That'll never happen. And then it's happening, and I'm so pumped. Yes, I know. I'm like, oh man, they're crazy. They're giving me a microphone in front of people. What what are they thinking? <laughs> Uh, no, but we're super pumped, and I'm I'm just really happy to be here to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies ever. Yes, and our guest always picks the movie, so what movie did you pick today? I picked Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Man, it is like serendipitous that you picked this, because <laughs> uh, a couple episodes back, we did Chinatown, 
and uh, a, a close friend of the show, Scott, uh, from the Suicide Squadcast was on that episode, and he said, man, didn't this remind you of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and, and I said, oh, I could see that. But to be honest with you, I think it had been a little while since I watched this, like maybe a year or more, and so I didn't realize how incredibly similar the plot was. So watching it um, a couple nights ago, I was like, oh, my God. So shout out to Scott for remembering that. And um, yeah, then you suggested this and I was like, heck, yeah, I want to talk about this movie. I love this movie. It's like I can't undersell how much I like this movie. It's really, really, you know, it was a big part of my childhood and I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, But we're here to talk about your experience. So when did you first see this movie and how did you see it? I want to say I remember watching this movie for the first time, but I was so young. And, and which, after watching it as an adult, I have no idea what my parents are thinking due right? to the amount, <laughs> the amount of innuendo in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so many jokes went over my head as a kid, and now I'm like, oh, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what age I was either. I, I know... I think I saw it. I don't think I, I mean because it came out nineteen ninety eight or nineteen eighty eight, and I'm was born in eighty three. So can't imagine that I saw it in theaters. I must have seen it on VHS. But I feel like it was not too long after it came out. Like I remember seeing like the shorts. Um, there was a short that played before. I think Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I forgot when so, that, that was when Jessica played the nurse. Yes. And, yeah. I remember it was in a hospital or something. Yeah, that my my husband mentioned it while we were watching this movie, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that memory just kind of like started flooding back. So it was really little, <laughs> <laughs> also. But I remember watching this like over and over, and same as you. Like I don't know why my parents let me watch it, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah, it's it was man, it it was such an amazing movie to me. Like I I must have been I had to be like four or five because I remember vaguely getting a Roger Rabbit doll, and the Roger Rabbit doll came in a Benny the Cab box, and I would turn That's the awesome. box sideways so it looked like the car was right, and I'd put Roger in there and just push it along the carpet. And I remember we were living, like, it was, my parents hadn't made it that far, so we were living in this trailer in my grandma's yard. <laughs> like, that was that was where I, that, and I remember that very vividly. So it was that house, so I had to be four. Um, wow. And my mom's insisted before that uh, I saw this movie in theater. I'm like, there's no way you guys took me to the theater. Like, we weren't, <laughs> we didn't live anywhere near a theater, and this movie came out when I was, like, three. So it's not... That's not possible. But she says that this was the first movie I ever watched at a theater. Wow. Um, yeah, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure maybe she means this is the first movie I ever watched, like, all the way through. Who knows? Um, but a long history, I guess you could yes, say. Yes, a long history of, <laughs> of burning up this VHS tape. That's for sure. Yeah. I think I, think I had that same doll, but I don't remember <laughs> the box, but... I remember loving Roger. I, I feel like I wanted to be him. I don't know. We'll get into it. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, we'll get into sure. all the psychology of that soon. Um, but before we jump too far in, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis really quick. And then I'll spit out a couple of quick facts. And you can obviously jump in on those too. Sure. So here we go. Uh, down on his luck, Private Eye Eddie Valiant gets hired by cartoon producer R.K. Maroon to investigate an adultery scandal involving Jessica Rabbit, the sultry wife of Maroon's biggest star, Roger Rabbit. But when Marvin Acme, Jessica's alleged paramour and the owner of Toontown, is murdered, the villainous Judge Doom vows to catch and destroy Roger. 
Yeah, that that sounds like a movie you would not show your kids. <laughs> yeah, I remember like I vaguely remember my parents talking about like not liking the baby character, which as an adult going back, I mean, I guess the baby's bad, but there's so many other things that are questionable this... about this movie, like for children. <laughs> yeah, that can't be the only thing that bothered them. Right. He, he does he does throw out some jokes that have me laughing today that just completely went over my head. Oh, for um, sure. Like I think everything questionable about this went over my head. I remember the patty cake scene being like hilarious to my father when I was a kid <laughs> he would laugh so hard every single time it came on it just killed him and I could not figure out why until I was now as an adult I'm like it is pretty funny like yeah I mean I, I watched this thing like as a teenager and and for whatever reason that didn't maybe I was watching it with a more critical eye the other day when I was refreshing my memory but me and my wife just looked at each other like dang this is I mean uh, graphics the wrong word but definitely trying to get let you in on an inside joke here yeah, yeah. I mean, hearing that, you know, now having just watched Chinatown, um, the parallels are so obvious, and that is a pretty intense story. So it's like, wow, you know, and when you, um, we'll talk a little bit about it soon, but the novel is so incredibly different from this. I mean, it's ba it's like ba loosely based. Yeah. So yeah, um, we kind of mentioned already this movie came out in 1988. Um, and I had a couple of quick facts about it, the first of which was... I feel like I knew this because I was such a nerd as a kid. Um, maybe I didn't know this when this came out, but I, I picked up on it um, as I got a little older. You know, the three ingredients of the dip that kills the cartoons, turpentine, acetone, and benzene, are all paint thinners, which are used to remove animation from cells. I feel like I knew that as a kid. Yeah, I think I'd heard that before, and it, it, it makes sense. Um, yeah. It's it's weird to think about it in this world that they created because it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like to them it's a surprise like there is no way to kill a tune except for this and and like we're so used to cartoons are on TV you can erase them they're just cartoons but like whatever universe they've built that they don't really explain like I don't know where <laughs> cartoons come from but whenever they get drawn because somebody draws them uh, they they don't get to go away they end up having to be put somewhere they're like quarantined in this in Toontown which is awesome. <laughs> But if you yeah. think about it, it's kind of this space where they're supposed to stay, <laughs> you right. know, unless they're acting or on set or doing their job. Well, and on another level, I think it's interesting to think about now. Like, I imagine showing this to a kid now and them not really comprehending this paint thinner idea because, you know, we went from hand painted cells to computer animated, e even cartoons now are computer animated, whether they're like traditional computer animation or it's like you know uh it's, it happens digitally but it's not necessarily like 3d like there's i don't think there's any painting of cells anymore you know what i mean so it's like you'd have to explain that part too yeah i think spongebob was the last modern hand-drawn cartoon and i don't even know if they still hand draw it but like even beyond that like showing it to a kid today they don't know who any of these characters are like this all the true. Warner Brothers carried like nobody watches Looney Tunes. That was our jam, you know, like yeah. Looney Tunes and, and those older Disney characters, like short of their parents educating them, which I intend to do. Uh, <laughs> they're not going to they're going to be like, who's that? Who's Yosemite Sam to me was like, you know, when he comes over that wall and my biscuits are burning. I'm like, that's Yosemite Sam. They don't know. I it's know. tragic. What are we going to do about really that? It's really tragic. I was a, you know, I grew up with Disney like anybody else, but I was a huge like Warner Brothers Looney Tunes nut. Like yeah. I went through a phase where I didn't want to eat 
I vowed to my parents I wasn't going to eat any duck because I loved Daffy Duck and he's a duck <laughs> and I just really identified with him and I just would not eat duck. Like I was serious about my tune love. Um, so yeah. Uh, the other fact that I had was this movie marked the first and so far only time cartoon characters from Walt Disney and Warner Brothers appear together on screen. And I imagine never again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. that's a, that's cool because there was a there was a little factoid. I was I was kind of reading some facts as well and saw the trivia where, in order for them to be able to do it, like with their high their high end characters like Donald and Mickey, they had to share. They had to have the same amount of screen time as Warner Brothers characters. Or it might have been Warner Brothers oh. demands to Disney because this was a Disney you know it was Touchstone, but that was a Disney mm-hmm. company at the time. Right. So like they had to. That's why that Mickey and Bugs are at, on the screen at the same amount of time. That's why Donald and Daffy are having the piano duel, and it's why at the end Porky Pig is on the screen at the same time as Tinkerbell. Um, ah. She's flying around. They had to, this deal where it was nobody was allowed to have more screen time. I well, thought that was pretty wild. Yeah. Does it seem to you like this should have been a Warner Brothers movie in a way? Yeah, like a hundred percent. I felt like Warner Brothers had uh i don't know why it felt like it had the bigger presence but maybe it was maroon cartoons felt more warnery um absolutely i mean the entire vibe yeah i I think you know there's always been a tonal difference between disney and uh you know warner brothers um in terms of their cartoons when you think of like silly symphonies versus looney tunes i think silly symphonies was more it seemed like more innocent, happier, mm-hmm. positive. And even the characters, when you compare them, like, you know, Bugs Bunny versus Mickey Mouse. Well, Bugs Bunny is like a wise cracking comedian. I mean, that's not who Mickey Mouse is. And yeah. I think when you make those comparisons, you can see how different they are. And the story really caters more towards the Looney Tunes. I mean, even calling them tunes, um, you know, I that's not a word I think that Disney used. You know, they were... when. The tunes idea comes from Looney Tunes. They had silly symphonies. So I don't think you would ever call them tunes the same way. I mean, cartoons, I guess. But still, like, tunes feels like more of a Warner Brothers thing to me. Yeah, and I mean, even Acme. Like, Acme is a total Warner Brothers thing. And that was all over this movie. So I don't know... I don't know who how it got planned out. But yeah, I mean, the chaos uh, factor from, like, the cartoons, like... Disney cartoons always kind of had a plot and it followed it and they they could be loud but Looney Tunes was the one with all the violence and the nutballs and like you know people just going crazy and, yeah. and as an adult that's that stood out to me a little bit I've calmed down a lot as I've aged and like when I was a kid <laughs> that intro cartoon was hilarious to me and now I'm an adult I'm like man this thing is crazy it's right. so loud and there's so much going on and then I realized I'm just an old person now and that's, that's, that's just me being like, why are these kids so noisy? Yeah, well, and I also feel like the Warner Brothers cartoons have always been aware of, like, that fourth wall, too. Like, yeah. when you'd watch, you know, original Looney Tunes, they, they talked about their careers as though they were, like, <laughs> actual actors and comedians. They did impressions. Like, it really felt like they were in Hollywood, and I don't think... Mickey Mouse or any of those other characters ever expressed understanding anything beyond the the little world that they were in. So I feel like, yeah, it's just more suited to Warner Brothers. But the reality is Disney, I, I think, had the bigger budget. And so that's why it was a Disney picture. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that yeah. completely. And and with that said, that was another fact I had that it had an estimated budget of seventy million at the time of its release, which was the most expensive film produced in the nineteen eighties and had the longest on screen credits for a film. 
Yeah, I, I read that about the credits. And what's fascinating about the credits, and I, I don't want to jump the gun, but Kathleen Turner, who voiced Jessica Rabbit, is not included. Okay, I was going to ask about that because I saw her name come up in the trivia, but I didn't see it like on IMDb like as listed one of the main actors. I wonder if there's like a story behind that that's so weird. So I did some research. Um, okay. Yeah, I went I investigated this, and I don't have – what I came up with was there's no real honest reason that they can find as to – I like she's been in interviews and talked about how much she loved the movie and she was so proud to be a part of it. Um, but she never mentions really why she was left out of the credits, and it doesn't seem that she cares. Um, they said that she was nine months pregnant when she was doing her lines. So there's rumors that a contract just didn't get signed, um, something, mm. something that would needed to happen to have your name in the credits did not happen for her. And it's yeah, really some kind of Screen Actors Guild thing, or I don't know, something weird. Yeah, so I wasn't able to to wrap up with an actual answer, but that was the closest I got as to why she wasn't included. And it seems to me like they would have corrected that in the millions of re-releases they've done. Right. But How it weird. so it must stem back from that like 1988 decision that it just they're not they're not going to do it. And I don't know if she's even getting royalties or residuals from reshowings of it i don't know how any of that works i hope she's getting her money because her performance matters you know yeah um, i mean you would wild. almost call her a bigger part of the film than roger I, we'll talk about that too but he's sure. really like his name is in the title but it's not really i think his story so yeah that's surprising yeah yeah it's it's really wild so i, I don't know I'll, I'll keep my note my ear to the ground if i hear anything <laughs> we can have posted. a follow-up <laughs> yeah um, the only other thing I wanted to highlight before we talk about the, I guess, the cast is that this movie won three Oscars uh, for best film editing, best effects, meaning sound effects editing, and then best effects, meaning visual effects as well. Which nice. It deserves absurd. all three of those. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it, yeah, it's just it's that's another thing I think, too, like as an adult. You know, when you go back and watch this movie, just appreciating how difficult that was, especially at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, d I definitely think it deserves all that. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you plan to get into this earlier, but the links are later. But the links they they go to to animate these things and make you believe it. It's just it's insane. And yeah. I feel like it's worth mentioning um, that we should just shout out this episode to Richard Williams, the animation director oh, for absolutely. this movie, because he passed Rest away like a week ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. So like I, I, what he did and his de his desire for like perfection and making this, you know, almost as Steve Jobsy and like get it right, <laughs> you know, like right. let's do something amazing, um, kind of attitude really set this apart from every other previous animated plus real world interaction kind of thing like Mary Poppins like that whole jam like this is something very special and even since then like Space Jam doesn't even live up to oh, what they all. did in this movie by any means yeah no yeah just to highlight for people at home um you may not recognize the name Richard Williams the way you would Robert Zemeckis but basically um you know Robert Zemeckis was the director but Richard Williams was like the animation director so you know this is a different world a different medium so he was in charge of that he's also responsible for like the Pink Panther and a lot of other you know really um just great cartoons uh, of the day and he had like a staff of I think 340 people and he had a really awesome quote I wanted to say here too um, 
He said, I'm in the same business as Goya and Rembrandt. He later said, I may be rotten at it with nothing of the same quality and talent, but that's my business. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. It's my uh, business. I'm going to do it great. You yeah. Know, that's, he that's he awesome. considered it an art form. And I think that's true. I think that really comes through in what he was able to accomplish, really thinking outside of the box and pushing the boundaries. Like you said, when you compare this to other, you know, live action, cartoon, um, I guess, interactions on film, this is just so above and beyond what those other projects did. So he deserves all the credit for that. And, you know, rest in peace. He will be missed. Oh, for sure. I, I just, this movie, like, it just leaps and bounds above anything else out there. And there, I could go on about the technical deals related to the animation forever because of, right? of yeah. how incredible it was. But I'm sure we'll, we'll get there at some point, but we can, we can dive <laughs> into to wherever you want to go. Um, I guess next, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Robert Zemeckis because this is like, obviously his heyday. So he had done Back to the Future, which we've done an episode on the show as well. And this was like in between he did this and then um, later he does Back to the Future Part 2. And a lot of the ground that he breaks in this movie actually affects the sequel because there's a lot of split screen type stuff in this as well. And so it kind of pave the way for the next movie that he worked on. But I feel like I was telling um, my husband when we were watching this that I feel like this is like peak Zemeckis where there's a vibe and like an energy to this movie and same with Back to the Future um, that's not in some of the later ones. And I don't know what makes it so infectious and just so Robert Zemeckis, but it's like this was the his best work kind of time period i guess <laughs> oh no i i agree with that completely like everything through back to the future three and then like he he goes and he does forrest gump and a handful of more movies and then he kind of goes into motion capture land for like yeah. the rest of his career um up to now <laughs> true and i is, like some of those projects too but yeah yeah i mean i i like the polar express i watch it with my son every christmas and it's it's super fun we watch it as a family um but there's there was just some like you said, he had some sort of magic going. Like Back to the Future is have is kind of in the middle of some resurgence now. I think mm-hmm. it's because we're just all old enough to control everything. <laughs> we, you <laughs> know, we much. we saw it, and and it's just such a, a pivotal movie for a lot of us in terms of like its adventure and all that stuff. Um, and this this just kind of continued that theme of like seeing stuff you'd never seen before. Uh, but but like in like technically and story-wise where then he later kind of gets into stuff that you know it's just a movie and that that's fine because they're all wonderful pieces of art Forrest Gump is one of my favorite movies of all time um it's it it means a lot to me but like it's it doesn't it's it's almost two different directors it could be done by someone else you feel like yeah Mm -hmm. there's just like like you said there's just like a magic to this that Mm -hmm. It's hard to put your finger on. It's hard It's hard for me to explain, like, well, these are the five ingredients that made this so great. But it's, like, it's obviously there that it's something about, like, the humor and then the, like you said, all the groundbreaking um, effects and just, I don't know. Great, yeah, it was lightning great in a bottle. Like, the, yeah. the script, too. Like, I was listening to some of the back and forth between R.K. Maroon and Eddie Valiant in, their, in his office. And, like, that play on words and stuff they were using against each other. Mm-hmm. Or that Eddie was coming back with things. I'm like, this is 1940s talk. Or at least the noir talk that we're mm-hmm. used to just put together. And it's just fun to listen to. Like, this is yeah. banter. I'm like, it's like they're playing ping pong. 
And it's just super fun when people get in a rhythm like that and their timing was just so good. And I'm like, this script is is magical. You know, it, it had it, it had everything that it needed. Right. Yeah, let's talk, I guess, since uh, we'll kind of move on a little bit to talking about the source material. Just want to touch on it really fast. Uh, so the novel by Gary K. Wolf was called Who Censured Roger Rabbit? Um, you can, you guys can go online and read the synopsis of that if you want. It is, uh, it's, it's a little convoluted. <laughs> like, when you compare, like, the plot of that book to the plot of this movie, I'm, like, kind of glad they went in a different direction. Have you read the book or anything like that no i haven't i actually feel really bad that i i researched kathleen turner's um absence from the credits <laughs> and i didn't research the source material i've read about it before in terms of it was like comic strip characters yeah and they yeah. actually thought in thought bubbles and spoke in word bubbles mm-hmm. um and that was the visual that i had but the as far as the rest of the plot no you can fill fill me in if you'd like so i'll just say a couple quick things so um I noticed somebody in our group, I think it was David Wang, he mentioned that, uh, you know, Roger Rabbit is sort of faded into the background of this movie a little bit. And I think some of that stems from, in the source material, he's he's dead. It's called Who Censured Roger Rabbit, in other words, who killed him. Um, and it becomes a mystery. So, like, Roger Rabbit hires um, Eddie Valiant, who's also in the book, to investigate why his contract is running out and it turns out that Roger is untalented and that's why they're kind of sidelining and getting rid of him but then he dies and a lot of stuff happens but basically there's also a genie involved that Roger had that he would rub the lamp and make wishes and he wished to be famous and then um, he had a stunt double or something that he killed and then the genie killed him it's like really crazy sounding but go read about it. It's like, it's, it's just so different from what we see on screen, but some of the ingredients are there like Roger, Jessica Rabbit, Eddie Valiant. And I feel like they picked kind of like the best stuff out of there. And I guess just to not be so dark, you know, Roger yeah, is just, not dead. He's alive. <laughs> right. Just made a better movie out of it. It's like, I mean, yeah. Robert Zemeckis also directed Forrest Gump and the Forrest mm-hmm. Gump book and movie are remarkably different. Oh, I didn't even know there was a book. So that's yeah. news to me. I read I read the book and it reads like a comedy and it's so much different. Like it's basically oh. what you just explained here regarding Roger Rabbit. It's I took some characters, I took some basic premises, and I made a completely different piece of art. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly so maybe that's just Robert Zemeckis' thing. I take yeah. source material and turn it into something good. Because Force <laughs> Force Gump's book was was fun, but not not earth shattering or anything. Right. Yeah. I feel too that, you know, I understand why the characters were originally comic strip characters. I mean, that's where cartoons essentially come from. But I think it's really smart to have them be cartoons just because I feel like, especially like the Looney Tunes characters that I keep coming back to, that, you know, in their heyday, that was the time period that they're kind of in is like this 1940s era. And so it's really cool to see a movie in that era and in LA where the studios are, you know, just all of those ingredients together. It just makes that world feel more... I guess familiar because even though that's such a crazy concept just as a kid you saw these cartoons growing up and you were like vaguely aware that there's something retro about it so I kind of like that change too. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if if it's Roger Rabbit's fault or not, but like this cemented my love for that time period in general. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like if if I had the ability to live in a time period, I would take that time period. More social progress. I would totally take all the social oh, progress. Oh yeah, I but want like, all, only the good parts. <laughs> right, but the style, the music, the cars, the like. Oh my gosh, it's I I love that noir feel that the fedoras and the trench coats and the hard boiled detective like yes. that's my favorite thing ever and I don't and this movie's probably responsible for that. It's so funny you say that because I think you're absolutely right and it kind of reminds me of you know the same thing sort of happened to me with Back to the Future where. I, you know, used to always be like, I love the 50s. And then one day I realized I don't love the 50s. I love the 50s that were presented to me in Back to the Future. I like that movie version of the, that's what, it's like, I feel like I have some connection to that time period, even though I have zero connection to it at all, only through movies. And yeah, I think I feel the same way about this. And it's kind of cool because when you can reel an audience in like that, it's like you're setting them up to fall in love with a time period that I'm sure the filmmakers were in love with that they may not have even been alive for. So it's, yeah, I I totally agree with you. It, It, I'm sure that that affected why I like that time period too. Yeah, it's the rose-colored glasses view of of yesteryear. You know, yeah, things were yeah. way better back when, and it's like, no, they weren't. But I mean, it looked cool. Yeah, <laughs> but in this movie, they were great. So. Yeah, they were awesome. <laughs> so that's good enough, I guess. Right. Um. So this movie also has like an incredible cast. Um. You know, Bob Haskins as Eddie Valiant, Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom. Joanna Cassidy as Dolores, uh, Charles Flesher as Roger Rabbit, and Kathleen Turner, as you mentioned, as Jessica Rabbit. Um, I think the, the, these uh, actors are just so good in their roles, and I think they just kind of, uh, again, back to that lightning in a bottle thing that you mentioned, I think they're a big part of why it's so successful. Bob Hoskins is remarkable uh, in this movie. Like, I, I, I watched the interview with him because I wanted to research, like, this was at a time before you acted with invisible things, right? Like this, this no, movie, a good point. this movie, we, every actor acts with invisible things these days, but back <laughs> right. then it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a little bit of his method cause he was kind of inventing it himself as he went. Cause he was the one primarily by himself. I think yeah. about a lot of the other actors were playing off him, but True. he was by himself with Roger multiple times throughout this movie. And one of the methods he used, he actually played with his youngest daughter, for like six months before the movie. And he he said that he had to learn how to hallucinate with her because she was a she could <laughs> pretend and see her friends that she was making up in a room with her. And he said that he had to learn. He, he said, when you're a kid, you have it all in the front of your brain, like how to imagine and how to see things. And as an adult, you, you backload it a little bit. It goes in the back of your head when you keep yeah. tax law in the front of your brain. So he had to sit there and learn. He said, for weeks after finishing the movie, I was still seeing rabbits and weasels popping out of the wall, um, <laughs> which I thought was super cool. But that guy, like, he, this. The role of Eddie Valiant almost went to 100 different people. If you look at the IMDb facts, it's like this huge list. Like, Bill Murray would have got it, and he didn't answer his phone because Bill Murray doesn't use an agent, which is amazing and hilarious in its own story for its own time. Um, But, like, they just went through a bunch of different people and finally landed on him, like classic theater-trained Bob Hoskins. And uh, and he landed it, and that was the best decision. It was so good. Yeah, I saw some others like, uh, what's his name? Um, now I'm going to blank on it, of course. Uh, 
I might have to come back to it. I cannot remember his name. I'm uh, <laughs> he works a lot with uh, let's see, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. What's his oh, name? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I think they mentioned like Kurt Russell or like Jeff Bridges or someone like that, and the, a lot of the names that I kept seeing pop up were like I think more traditionally like handsome younger leading men. Yeah. And I like that they did not end up with that because I feel like a lot of times in noir detective stories, that is who they end up with. And I think sometimes it kind of undercuts like this sort of everyday man, um, you know, no, uh, nose to the grindstone, middle aged vibe. You know what I mean? And so it's yeah. kind of cool to see a guy that is genuinely like he looks like he could actually be a detective. Um, I really like that they went with Bob Hos- Haskins instead. Oh yeah, he he they 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 picked the right the right person for sure. I mean, I I'm looking at the list here. I mean, they had Robin Williams, Michael Keaton, Harrison Ford was a strong contender for a while. And I'm like, <laughs> I could see Harrison Ford because of the Blade Runner thing. Right. I don't know if this came before or after Blade Runner. I I messed up on my history there, but like th- I could see that, but it wouldn't have it would it'd be missing something. It'd be like casting Magnum PI for Indiana Jones. You know, it's just Yeah. You're like yes but no <laughs> right like just... yeah he was great in blade runner but no i don't know i just like the i just think that that adds something extra to this movie like the fact that he's a normal dude he's short know? and has an incredibly hairy back yeah. he's like a normal guy <laughs> yeah i like that because it kind of makes you feel i don't know almost like he understands a little bit being you know not the center of attention i don't know yeah it's and you're just, seeing this a cool vibe you're seeing this world through his eyes. Like, you're following mm-hmm. him the whole time. So you want somebody that feels like an everyman um, so right. that the audience can immediately relate and then see what's going on through that character's lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was that was just a, a really good casting decision, for sure. Totally agree. Um, how do you feel about Joanna Cassidy as Dolores? She was fine. Like, I don't, I don't think that I recognize her from anything else. I thought she rocked out the role... Uh, like really really well i believed her in that time period and i believed her relationship with eddie and i think that's most of what you can ask for um yeah and that that was a real winner for me i was i was great with that decision yeah no i I liked her character i felt like she uh she she came across as like very you know kind of no nonsense sassy but at the same time she had a lot of heart and she cared a lot for Eddie and their relationship was like you said it's believable and she kind of had these like Peggy Bundy vibes almost to her (laughs) like her quick wit and stuff I think something that you know as a kid I don't think I noticed her character that much but as an adult I find her lines like a lot funnier now because you kind of see what it's playing off of what it kind of reminds you of Uh, whereas I don't think I had that context as a kid but I I did really enjoy her I, I agree with you I didn't recognize her Right away, I saw that she was in Blade Runner, so I wasn't oh, okay. sure who she was in that. But they I must have been have farming Blade research. Runner for that because <laughs> Jack Nicholson <laughs> yeah, was like, also a Eddie Valiant contender. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, that would have. I I feel like he would have been good. I mean, because yeah, Chinatown. Chinatown. Yes, yeah, yeah. so they were farming Chinatown and Blade Runner for for cast members. One one thing <laughs> about her her performance is it was one of those like. I'm exhausted with this person, but I love this person, so I'm going to help this person. It was yeah. that she had that view, that feeling of I'm so tired of this, but I'm not leaving, and that there was something endearing about that um, yeah. and realistic. 
And unlike a lot of, you know, hard-boiled detective type characters, you really sympathize with Eddie, like, on a different level, I think, because the whole brother thing that they introduce and their relationship, like, they, they kind of wrap it up in a neat bow so you're never like, shouldn't she just leave? Or, you know what I mean? Like, they really <laughs> yeah. make you feel like it's a good thing that's happening. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, she knows he's in the pits and she's going to stick around to help him get out. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess the next person that we should talk about is Christopher Lloyd. Oh my goodness, we need to talk about Christopher Lloyd. Like he was, he was an unbelievable Judge Doom, and this is like coming off a, a screwball kind of character like Doc Brown mm-hmm. into this just dripping with evil guy, and and he's he's more horrible now that I'm older because I I have I don't know if I have more empathy for a cartoon shoe than I did when I was a kid. <laughs> But like that was just straight up vile, um, and it, it's his performance. Um, I didn't notice this watching the movie, and I've read this trivia multiple times, and every time I watch the movie, I forget to consider it that he never blinks when his eyes are are open. Like you can see his eyes, he never blinked because a cartoon wouldn't have to. Uh, and he he played it that. There's a lot of little nods to him being a cartoon that you don't notice until you've seen the movie once. Like if you if right. you've never watched it, you have no idea. His he never blinks. His cape blows in the wind inside, um, which is kind of oh. a cartoony thing. I didn't notice that even on repeat viewings. Like, and then uh, the dip he avoids that when it spills over in the bar. He just runs away I from it. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. So his everything he did, like he's just he was horrible. And there for a time when I was a kid, I remember thinking like that's that bad guy because I didn't recognize him from Back to the Future. <laughs> I was like, that guy, that guy, anytime he's in something, he's a bad guy. But yeah. he's really not usually a bad guy, but he pulled this off so well. I was so proud of him. Old Jim from Taxi. Like, <laughs> he's made it. He's in the movies now. Yeah, like, I don't think I made the connection that he was Doc Brown for, like, a long time. Um, I think I kept these him separate. Like, I don't think I knew it was Christopher Lloyd for a while. And uh, But, yeah, he's incredible in this role like he's so freaking scary um that yeah. shoe scene you mentioned earlier that made me like cry as a kid i was horrified oh. it was terrifying to me and every time he was on screen i was just generally afraid like truly afraid of him um which is probably why i didn't realize who he was uh but <laughs> but like yeah he did such a good job with that character i saw that um it was they wanted it to be donald sutherland which i could really see that like i yeah. can kind of see those vibes to his character but christopher lloyd just brings this like cartoonish intensity i guess you could say to all of his uh characters that kind of i think just fits judge doom more like he's yeah. more of like a caricature like a almost like a super villain so it's i don't know I, I like the way that he did it and i think it was perfect i didn't notice the blinking thing either but i read that too it's really yeah. cool made me want to watch it again I, I think like you look at you even look at doc brown like he uses a lot of exaggerated movements and and um just is really loud and boisterous and mm-hmm. that's kind of cartoony in and of itself and like the idea of him actually being a tune in this movie and being super reserved you know totally yeah. goes full-on crazy person at the end um, oh god that's like the scariest part of the movie it's, it's horrifying it's scary it's now yeah i've talked to people and there's there's one person i know and they're like i hate steamrollers because of that movie like i just yes, think they're gonna run me over me so bad and when he like <laughs> comes back up i mean literally i was like i'm gonna have nightmares it's yeah. terrified 
it's it's so great but yeah like i i i did i do really love christopher lloyd like mainly because of back to the future but also in this um but like you i watched taxi too on nick at night (laughs) right (laughs) because it was in reruns by then but um watched a lot of that and just have always been just a huge fan of his so i've met him um I think I think it was here in Dallas. I met him and we talked about the Rangers. It was really cool. He oh, was that's so, so cool! Nice. He like gave me like a big grandpa hug. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> Sometimes you can meet your heroes and it's okay. Yeah, like what's funny too is like I I think I was like the first in line and I went up to him and yeah he was just like how about the Rangers like he probably just whatever city he's in he's like how about that and i'm like yeah and then uh he gave me a hug and we got a picture and it's funny because i was explaining to someone almost i was like we embraced each other and, like, <laughs> i wanted him to like take me on the delorean and i would be his marty and but then when you look at the picture it's like very reserved like normal like pose <laughs> but in my brain it was like we just really hugged it was great so yeah um it's actually the second time i met him because the first time i saw him from afar we were on vacation in a santa barbara he was either santa barbara or santa monica with my family and my dad goes hey isn't that christopher lloyd and i'm like what and i think he's like messing with me because i was 12 or 13 at the time and like really obsessed with back to the future so i'm like my dad's like doing a dumb dad joke but he (laughs) he was like legit there like just oh wow and my dad was like we should go talk to him and i was like no, I was terrified. I was like, there's, I, I don't know what I would say. I'm, I was totally starstruck. So my dad went up there and talked to him for a little bit and came back. And I basically hid. And then I came out from behind wherever I was hiding. And we went on with the rest of our trip. And I was like devastated that I limped <laughs> out like that. So it was so awesome that later I got to meet him. And it went so much smoother the second time. But yeah, that's my little Christopher Lloyd story. I will tell that every time we talk about him. So if you've heard other episodes where I've told that story, I'm sorry. But it's <laughs> it's going to come up again. So that's a great story. There's a pivotal <laughs> moment in your life. And you exactly. should totally share it with everyone yeah. as much There's- as possible. Yes, there's also an awkward picture of me in my, like, 90s, you know, camo pants and my terrible tank top standing in front of a DeLorean. It's somewhere. I don't think I'll ever share it, but it's somewhere. It's <laughs> amazing. But, I just yeah. think it's really funny that you were into Taxi, because I rarely meet someone around my age that knows Taxi, and I, I'm like, yeah, I think I was no, I nine or eight or nine when that movie or that show was on Nick at Night. I've watched it recently, and I was like, what business did I have watching this and why did I think it was so funny this is like an adult show yeah but I, I, think I was all was over Nick at Night Lloyd. as a kid yeah yeah, yeah there was I think that it too. was because of him my my I think my parents were like oh he was from taxi and I'm like what's that and so I watched <laughs> and like pretended to get the jokes and tried to understand it because I just wanted to see more of him I just loved him so <laughs> oh he was the reverend Jim he was so good yeah so good um, so let's see, I guess we could talk a little bit about Roger Rabbit himself, Charles Flesher. Uh, do you have any like background or any like little tidbits about him? I, again, I wish I did, but I don't, I was more fascinated in Kathleen Turner. Uh, yeah. but no, um, <laughs> we all were. <laughs> yeah, but she had, I mean, he had a, he had a great part. He did an amazing job that Roger has a very unique voice, uh, amongst cartoons to me. And I know it's, it's like very screwball and it, it, it plays really well. Like this dude played Benny the Cab and two of the weasels, apparently. Oh, I and didn't like, realize that. Yeah, so him playing Roger and Benny, like those are two different people. Like those those voices yeah. aren't even remotely close. So clearly he is a very talented voice actor. Um yeah. 
But I was trying to see what else he might have been in. Um, I think he was a, a stand-up comedian. Um, somebody mentioned in our group, like, who do you think would be, like, a Roger Rabbit today? And, like, the first guy I thought of was uh, the guy that voices SpongeBob. I think Tom Kenny? Yes. Yeah. Like, he... It, it's kind of like that, where there's sort of this, like... I don't know, like you said, screwball nature, but then a real like innocence and positivity to his voice that I don't think you normally get with that kind of character. So that's like the closest thing I could think of. So yeah. hearing that he was a comedian, like definitely got that vibe from Roger Rabbit. But um, what's funny is right before we started recording, I was watching like a quick featurette um, <laughs> and it had the voice of uh, Roger Rabbit um, kind of just explaining how the movie was made, and it was, like, really old clip. Um, and <laughs> my husband goes, I love Roger so much, but seeing, like, the actual human with his voice, it's like, <laughs> I said, there's something unsettling about it. He's like, he, yeah, he's like, I know an adult did that, but it's weird seeing, like, a normal adult making all those sounds it's 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 a little off-putting i preferred the rabbit <laughs> yeah oh for sure I, I will say this about about charlie fleischer and his 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 performance is that while he was on set he dressed as roger rabbit he had bunny ears that. a bow tie and overalls and bob hoskins at one point was like what what are you doing like you're not on camera you don't have to do this <laughs> and he insisted on it which I thought was was hilarious and showed a great dedication to the craft. I agree. I feel like, too, like, I don't know if this is just me being like, I don't know. Maybe I'm making some wild assumptions here. But I, I always feel when I watch projects like this where, you know, you've got like Robert Zemeckis and, you know, really like Steven Spielberg and everybody involved with this really intense project. But then they have to go to a studio that... Um, is used to doing, you know, animation and creatures and things like that. I feel like that's like a totally different world. And so in some level, I feel like these really talented uh, voice actors, especially ones like, uh, like Charles Flesher that do these kind of zany characters, it's like they're from like a different planet almost. Like oh, yeah. I feel, you know, so like him dressing up as the character and Bob Haskins being like, what is happening? Like I, I love that story because I do feel like there's a little bit of like a disconnect. Like they're like the nerds, you know, <laughs> the oh, yeah. crew for sure. And I, I always feel that way when I watch like the behind the scenes um, and, and get to hear, you know, different famous voice actors. But yeah, they, they almost like just don't get enough credit because it's almost like they have to do more acting because you're not seeing them and you're just hearing them. So they take it to like another level. And the fact that they can do so many different voices, like it truly is like an underappreciated art form, I think. Oh, I agree completely. Like I, this is a topic for another time as well, but Billy West, um, the voice oh, of Doug yeah. and, and art or um, Fry from Futurama and a million other characters. He's real down on studios and movies doing animated films with celebrities. Because yeah, he's like, these the people just walk in and perform like they're performing. He's like, us voice actors, we have to be other people. <laughs> like, we have to make our voices do things that you would never believe. And they hire one of us to do seven characters in a show. Um, yeah. It's a really, it is a really, a really great craft. And they all deserve a lot more credit than they get for what yeah. they do. And if had this movie been made now, there's no way Charlie Fleischer would have been Roger Rabbit. Like they would That's have picked true. somebody you would have heard like Brad Pitt is Roger Rabbit. Like it would have been something <laughs> completely 
Like, I mean, that's believable. Cool that's a different movie. Okay. Yeah, Cool World. Oh, we don't know. Don't, we don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to like Cool World, to be fair, but no. Um, <laughs> we all but, yeah, I, oh, my, my brain just short-circuited thinking I'm about sorry. that. Oh, I, knew, I was done? like, I shouldn't interrupt and say this, but I have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I picked a bad choice of an actor for that one. That was a bad analogy. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And um, and I think, yeah, it's hard to imagine any other voice. And I just, I would be interested to hear like all the voice actors now or characters now that call back to this movie and are like, that influenced me. Yes. Like, I almost want to say, like, maybe this is dicey to say and maybe too extreme, but do you feel like even like Mark Hamill's Joker is like a little bit inspired by this voice? I don't know. I feel like there's some crossover there. Maybe that's just me. No, that that I yeah the zaniness because Mark Hamill's Joker is so multifaceted. Like he's he's a psycho, he's an anarchist, he's a goofball. Like he's all those things rolled into one. And I could see particularly that that crazy zany goofball side of Mark Hamill's Joker could could very well be very inspired by if if not this movie directly, just this era of cartoons and this oh for sure this like Chuck Jones Tex Avery yeah. Yeah, and and I think like again he'd be another great choice if they rebooted it. Don't reboot it, but don't reboot it. it. Yeah, totally leave <laughs> this one in the past. It's fine. Don't touch it. Yeah, Disney, it's no good. no pretend live action remakes of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I've gotten to the end of my roster here. There's way more people involved in this film that I'm sure we will talk about. But let's dive into some of these scenes. What are some of your favorite scenes? Oh, so I wrote down a few notes because I just got really excited about this. And Yay. one of the scenes, like it's. It's a very quiet scene, but when Eddie Valiant goes back to his office and the camera pans around the room, mm-hmm. this to me is an amazing shot uh, for storytelling. Like no one mm-hmm. has to stop the movie and give exposition. It's yeah. it's just playing this really great music. Um, Alan Silvestri, who did the score, just knocked it out of the park. Lots of hints of Back to the Future themes throughout. Oh, for sure. Same composer, but. Like it's it's fits it fits that era and it's panning around the room and you see newspaper clippings of when he was a detective for tunes. You learn about his past with his dad at the circus. Um, you learn about his love for his brother and how they were both policemen. Like there's there's just an incredible amount of story building in this one minute scene. Um, yeah. that I don't know that a, a big budget movie would have the patience to do these days. But that that character building and the alcoholism is right there, like empty bottles, like everything that they're doing is is trying to teach you about Eddie and get you to empathize with Eddie and understand where he's coming from without like throwing it at your face. It's just letting right. you letting you live in it for a minute with him. Um, and that that blew me away. And what I liked, you know, towards the end where he does his, his dance <laughs> to distract I the love weasels. That part. Which is super great. The merry-go-round broke down. Uh, he does that dance, and like when I was a kid, I was like, "Man, he's really good dancing, backflipping. What in the what the world?" But now, like watching it again, is with a critical eye, is seeing like, okay, they told you he was in the circus. He was a clown. So I think this I talent. That so you're 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 educating me right now. <laughs> I have to go yeah. back and watch it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just I was just paying attention a little bit more because I wanted I wanted to a plus your podcast. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Good job, a plus. Thanks, awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the dancing he does that was part of his wheelhouse. He was a detective, but he was a clown before, so he could totally do the juggling and the backflips and stuff like that. And I just loved everything about that scene. It was well, quiet. I- and it was wonderful. Yeah, I think Robert Zemeckis was really good at that. Like, I think, 
you know, like in Back to the Future, got to keep going back to that just because I love that movie and he directed it. But um, also had some great exposition without it feeling like, you know, without you feeling like bogged down by it. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's um, or it's engaging and it doesn't feel like work, which I think is hard to do. Like sometimes it's tempting to just do like like you mentioned before, you could they could have done maybe just a monologue like it was 1940. whatever. <laughs> yes. I just lost my brother. My wife's gone, you know, but they don't do that. They just kind of slowly introduce you into all these facets of his life. And it just makes it feel more authentic. And it's not you're not being told from his perspective you're seeing it with him and experiencing it with him so i think it just feels more real you know that he's like a reliable narrator at that point yeah and you you also i, I can't help but wonder what the script says about this scene i mean like mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not a great writer or anything but i would have totally done the noir voiceover like back in 1942 you know like, i would have just yeah. i would have <laughs> cheese cheese balled the whole thing so like this is why these are great filmmakers and i would never be one is because they he he looked at it and said let's do it this way um, yeah, let's, let's tell just, a story yeah and the, i mean spielberg's that same way spielberg's an incredible visual storyteller and he has a mm-hmm. producer credit on this so I'm sure they collaborated on a lot of this on how to how to craft this movie in such a way that you could you could learn without having I've seen movies recently like big budget movies do like three different expositions to explain their <laughs> their their world and I won't yeah. name names but it's it was a big movie and I'm like what are we really stopping again to tell another legend like what are yeah. we doing um but yeah this one this one just it knew that 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 story required a subtle a subtle hand. It required yeah, a, just a nudge. It's good for kids, too, because, I mean, children have, like, short attention spans, and if you bore them with all these details, they're, they're going to go right over their heads. So it's a good idea to sort of make it a little more subtle and, like, part of the story and not so yeah. dialogue-heavy, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I really appreciated this one in particular. Um, cool. But I've, I've got other scenes if you'd like me to keep going on my Yeah, my go list for it. Keep this, going. Yeah. yeah you're on Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think that the as far as technical prowess, like the the stroll around RK Maroons uh, or the, the Maroon Cartoon Studios when Eddie leaves with the check. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like everything that <laughs> happens in this back lot of this studio, just it's another visual storytelling. There's nobody saying anything, but you're just looking around as Eddie Valiant and seeing a, a, a pelican on a bicycle, brooms <laughs> dancing, a, 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 a hippo launch a guy into space. And, and he's just walking and the camera's panning. And these are things at the time that had never been done in far as far as blending animation in real life. And this is, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that becomes um, so special about this movie is they did move the camera. Every everybody else didn't, and the animators took time and paid attention so they could match the lighting and the angles as they changed as the camera moved. And this this whole sequence brings you into the world and helps you to understand that these these tunes are real and they're walking around and they're professional actors and you could bump into them on the street. Um, and I I loved everything about about that. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think. You know, when you're able to set sort of like the rules and guidelines of a universe in a really uh, easy to follow way and in a way that's not, again, you know, 
giving us a lot of exposition like th- there's no like oh in 19 you know 32 <laughs> the first tune came out of tuneville you know or whatever and so it's like really cool the way that they just kind of immerse you into that world and so that way it feels more like an experience and you're experiencing it with uh eddie instead of um just hearing it from him or from another character i can i completely agree yeah and i, I can't help but wonder if they took uh, a cue from like something like jaws where mm-hmm. the shark just shows up you don't really care where he came from he's just <laughs> there so this is a lot like that in in that we don't care how the cartoons got there they don't make you they don't make you feel like you want the answer it, yeah. it's just because you're there and everyone's accepting it you accept it, it they really rely on the empathy of an audience to to just go oh well these people don't care i don't care <laughs> nobody's asking so where did, where did these cartoons come from and I, I love that, that you can just go, I mean, how long have they been there? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Let's tell our story. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think when you ex- over-explain, you risk kind of like losing the audience. I'm thinking of actually a movie that sort of did something like that, where they were like, this happened at this time, and that's why this happened, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they kind of over-explain like what's going on. And in the back of your mind, you're like, this is so silly. Like, we don't need... Like, all this explanation, like, you can't make this make sense. Right. The only movies (laughs) that get away with that are history movies and Star Wars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what happened. Okay, now let's tell a story. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's better, like you said, when you just kind of accept the world they live in because they accept it. And yeah, Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's so true. Yeah. And there's there's just so many scenes in this movie that that are, are special like that. Like, the... This this movie, I don't. I'm I'm sure you've have you you've read about bumping the lamp or no? You heard oh, yeah, that? Oh yeah, I touched on that a little bit, but go ahead and kind of. Yeah, that. this I watched a video essay on this. Um, an animator explained this whole thing, but this this movie is what coined a phrase called bumping the lamp, and it was basically a phrase to say just go above and beyond. But it stems from the the point where Roger and and uh, and Eddie have run to the bar and. Um, and Dolores hides them in the speakeasy, which is super cool. Like they they mm-hmm. had a, they pulled it like a light handle to go into the speakeasy, <laughs> and it's just it's a 1949 joke, and it works so well. And they're hiding back there, and Eddie keeps hitting his head on this stupid hanging lamp, uh, and the <laughs> the shadows will start rotating, and the lights swinging around, and the animators because they are all incredible professional people. Thank you, Roger Williams, for pushing. Um, we end up seeing light bouncing off of Roger just like it's bouncing off of everyone else in the room. And this is one of the things that made this cartoon world believable and watchable um, was was seeing that light reacts on these tunes exactly like it reacts on everything else. Maybe modified a little bit. I think Roger's ears are translucent. And the weasels, anytime you see them in front of a window, that you can see the window through them, to kind of mm. give them that they, they are cartoons. They are they're kind of see-through a little bit. Yeah. Um, which I thought was super cool. And as a detail I noticed on the weasels. I knew about it on Roger, but I noticed it on the weasels this time. Oh. But that whole that whole idea of just just do more with do more in animation than anyone else has done. Work harder. Yeah. Um, give us more realism or this thing's this people aren't gonna believe it. Like you you don't believe Dick Van Dyke's dancing with a bunch of penguins. <laughs> it's not to say that that sequence isn't great. Plenty of people love Mary Poppins. It was, and that was acceptable at the time, and probably technically all they could do. But you move forward to '88, and they just they just pushed a lot harder than they they could have. They could have said, "Good enough. Let's just put the cartoons on the on the the film and go." 
but they they didn't. They wanted to make it feel like these were living, breathing characters, and not not to mention. I mean, you're getting into the um, the fact that the character, the animated characters would carry physical things, and the mm-hmm. real characters would carry animated things. My head explodes. Like that. Why would they do that? That just makes life so much harder. And the the degree of of puppets and strings and everything they they did animatronics to mm-hmm. make these things happen. Like, it's just, I don't know, go back and give him another award. <laughs> Seriously. And you're so right in saying earlier that there's never been anything that's really been close. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I would not consider uh, Space Jam on the same caliber. And uh, I really enjoyed Detective Pikachu this year. But still, there's just something so incredibly special about this movie. Like you said, lightning in a bottle. I don't know. Just so above and beyond. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's CG characters. I think we're... We're, I don't want to say we're burnt out on them, but we're just used to it. And right. and I think the 2D thing in a 3D space doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> allowing doing things that make your brain accept it is just phenomenal. It's something mm-hmm. that should be praised as much as it can be. Because 3D in 3D space is, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, sure. Pikachu's running around. That's great. I get it, you know, but... We don't we don't ever see a two D thing in a three D space. That doesn't our brains aren't meant to work that way. That's why yeah. they, the shadows are so important. If you've ever watched anything on illusion and how it works, our brains really care about shadow. It's how it tells us whether something mm. is is far away or close up or yeah. in in a certain position. And they went through that hard effort in Roger Rabbit so that we wouldn't you know leave the theater going well that was something was off. You know we would think something yeah. is not right. Uh, but we wouldn't be able to put our fingers on it. And, and instead we go, heck yeah, I'm going to go see if I can hit a ride from Benny the Cab like tomorrow. That's That yeah. looked real. I want to ride in Benny the Cab all day long. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, but that that uh, that was something else. Like those, that that scene, that scene was great. And I, I love the Ink and Paint Club. I mean, that was, that <laughs> introduction of, of Jessica sends every small child through puberty early. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a ridiculous and an incredible thing and the the character design on her like I, they went through just the attempt after attempt after attempt to make the right version of Jessica Rabbit and they made some crazy ideas like her chest going in reverse when she walks like it goes up when it should go down like they tried <laughs> to make her as sexual as possible and and somehow they pulled it off and i don't it's it's like this i don't even feel like we should be watching this is this allowed on tv <laughs> Yeah, I love the song that she sings, too. Like, it's, like, genuinely a good song. Yeah. And I think what really makes her character work is that Kathleen Turner's performance, she's truly somebody that you can sympathize with, and she feels completely fleshed out as a real character. Like, they could have just had her be, like, just hot. Yeah. But she's so nuanced, and she's somebody that you feel for, and she's kind. She's got depth to her. Yeah, I think probably again influenced by uh, Chinatown and the lead female in that movie. Um, but yeah, I've I've really it's like it doesn't age poorly, you know. Like no. it's I watch it today, and I'm like I I love her character. I think she's she's great, and you, it's just so funny because now. Um, you know, that comment that I told you about earlier, someone saying that Roger Rabbit sort of faded into the background. It's like, yeah, I see a lot of Jessica Rabbit cosplay. 
yeah, don't yeah, see for that sure. many Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, and her character's so fascinating. I mean, particularly in in these days, you know, um, mm-hmm. like I mean, this stuff has always been happening, but it's come to the forefront, you know, outside of the film sphere. But sure. like her being trapped by you know this position where she had like R.K. Maroon, you know, forcing her to do this thing because or he was going to hurt her husband. Like this is a tragic character, and this is. Yeah. This is a storyline that that like plays really well these days, you know. Like it does. This... I was thinking about that. I'm like, wow. Even back then, they kind of knew. I feel like. Yeah, they. they <laughs> like, knew. there's this... more to these stories than you probably see in the papers. Yeah. Yeah, it's like somebody somebody who worked in Hollywood was like, I'm gonna write a story. It's gonna be a cry for help, and it ends up being this animated feature that's a blockbuster. But it's <laughs> it's really like saying, hey. um, could you look over here at Hollywood? The thing I'm making a movie about, like, <laughs> like, yeah, got, a little self-reflection here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've got problems. We should work on them. And everybody's like, Roger <laughs> Rabbit was great. I like the cartoon stuff. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, and on, um, I guess back to like how she looks too. I, I was thinking that, man, you know, it's the eighties cause she was a redhead. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like any other era she would have been blonde. Cause usually, mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, like classic noir, they're like almost always blonde or brunettes. But the fact that she's a redhead feels very 80s to me. That's a, (laughs) that's a really good point. I I just love Eddie's reaction when he realizes she's not a rabbit. Like it's it's this jaw drop, like, wait, hold on. What? She's married (laughs) to Roger Rabbit? No. And I love the contrast between them too. Like I love that their personalities are so polar opposite. And (laughs) I don't think I picked up on that as a kid when he's like, what do you see in him? And she's like, he makes me laugh. And it's just so funny as an adult, because isn't that what everyone says? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm so I'm I'm attracted to their humor. That's it. You know, it's like a, it's all it's a cliche a little bit, and it's just fu- it makes it even funnier. <laughs> no, it's 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 perfect. I I relate very well to that. I'm a super nerd. I don't know why my wife likes me, but I make her <laughs> laugh every day. So I guess that counts for something. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a super like everything everything about that relationship is cool too. Like they they honestly feel for each other, and all she wants to do is protect him. So of course she hits him on the head with a frying pan. Like that makes sense. Yeah. I love the throwaway line. What did she? Oh, I was. I wanted to protect him. What'd you do? I, I hit him on the head and threw him in the trunk. <laughs> what? That's what? A, that's great. Yeah, I love the whole movie. Things keep happening where you're like, she looks so guilty, but then she just never is. It's so great. Yeah, it's it's always a bait and switch. It's like it, that mm-hmm. was that was Jessica. I mean, it has you guessing. If you've never seen this movie, which I kind of wish I could just like neuralizer myself from men in black and go back and watch it for the first time yeah and just experience that whole mystery as it plays out because like as a kid i'm bad at following mysteries now but as a kid like i did not hold a detail for more than five minutes oh you know so you just watch it you know you don't really care about what's going on um but it, but it would be cool to watch this and, and like try to follow that mystery. So yeah, no, yeah. totally. I think as a kid, I was like, she's bad, she's good now. Bad again, good. Okay, <laughs> like I don't think I picked up on any of it. <laughs> no, I think I was just like, when are we get to see Benny the Cab again? He was great. <laughs> I don't know why I love that character. I would sit there and imagine looking out my window and him pulling up and being Aww, able to get in that that's car. That's precious. <laughs> I know, isn't that wild? Like it's just that's how my brain worked. I was like, I wonder if 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 that was real, he could pull up in the road and I could go for a ride. That's like, awesome. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that was just part of the magic. Like being a kid and all of a sudden you've got this possibility 
in your tiny child brain that there are characters that you could meet and like shake hands mm-hmm. with. Um, I read, yeah. I don't know if this is true. This this could be one of those like IMDb Wikipedia facts that are like not true. But I, <laughs> I read that Bob Haskins kid was upset at him and he couldn't figure out why. And then later he, it was because he his child was upset that he was on set with Bugs Bunny and he didn't get to meet him. Yes, so I he, heard like, that bought same into rumor. This idea. <laughs> yeah, I heard that same rumor, and I believe it. I would have been mad at my dad too. Like, what's yeah, wrong like, with I, you? <laughs> I think as a kid, like a part of me was like, this is possible, right? Like, I don't think I was one hundred percent yeah sure what was real, what was not at that point. So yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, I, was, I definitely could could see it in my head. I'm like, I just need to go to Hollywood and I can hang out with all these cartoon characters. It'll yeah, be the best. And there were so many characters that I like recognized and really liked. Like, um, you see Mr. Toad a couple of times, mm-hmm. and for some weird reason, I was uh, saying the other night to my friends that I really loved that story, The Wind in the Willows. Like, I watched that over and over. I was obsessed with Toad. And his love for motor cars, like, that's all I remember about it. I don't really remember the plot, but I, like, loved him. And so, like, the fact that he was in this movie, too, I was like, oh, there he is. Like, so excited, even though he's there for, like, a second. Like, I don't know. There's just so many things in this movie that I really latched on to. <laughs> so many cameos, man. Like, when, mm-hmm. when Eddie's driving into Toontown, I mean, it's you get the, like, the trees in the background, those dancing cows or whatever that you know you've seen in some Disney cartoon. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, Wile E. Cody and Roadrunner are hugging at the end when uh, <laughs> when they're singing about Toon... Like, they get the will and they're singing about Toontown or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, there's so many cameos, when, and I recognize so many of them because that was, like like we were talking about earlier, that was my zone, was Warner Brothers cartoons. And that was, it was just so cool to see all those different, those different characters in the same place. Mm-hmm. Made me want more. Made me want Space yes. Jam to be a better movie. <laughs> and I love Space Jam. Shots I'm, fired. I'm yeah, kidding. no, I think Space Jam's great. We're here to talk about movies we love. I, I, exactly. I haven't watched it in 20 years, but man, yeah, it was great. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but I'm sure it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I love that that Toontown scene was pretty cool. Like the the tunnel into Toontown is an imagination capture too. Oh, um, for sure. And I know that t- Robert Zemeckis loves that tunnel because that was a Back to the Future Two tunnel as well. Um, mm. Yeah, because it, it was the tunnel where they're hoverboarding and they're trying to get the 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 almanac from Biff and all that. Oh, that was that's right. Super great. But I wanted there to be a tunnel that that took me into Toontown. Those bullets, man! I see. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to get I real excited, and I'm going to start yes. going nuts. But the, the gun and the little plaque on the inside that says "Thanks for getting me out of the Hooskow," <laughs> you know, Samity <laughs> Sam. It's this animated giant gun and these cowboy bullets. It, they just make like one of them voiced by Pat Buttram, um, of of. He's a famous voice actor who's on Green Acres, and he voiced the Sheriff of Nottingham in Disney's Robin Hood. Oh, okay. I was trying to decide if that was him or, like, Slim Pickens. You know, I couldn't... Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it was Pat Pat Buttram, and he was he was always playing cowboy types. and He just has this mm-hmm. really... Rec- he's, like, recognizable, almost like Dom DeLuise. You just know yeah. that voice when you hear it. And it was cool to hear him in that movie. Like, just that whole thing. The bull is getting lost in the alleyway when he shoots him at Judge Doom as he's running away. That that's just the best. I, which way did he go? I don't know. He went that way. Totally running. Yeah. That. that was so great. The, yeah, the whole two town sequence was just super fun. It was almost pointless 
yeah. um, <laughs> up till you get to the end. It was everything that happened was almost completely pointless, but it was really fun to watch. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I kind of forgot about that gun part uh, when I was rewatching it. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. I was like <laughs> so excited for it. it. And that was the point where Eddie pours out. He's going to take a swig of his drink and he pours it out. And it's kind of the turning point. Not only does mm-hmm. he put down the alcohol, but he picks up an animated gun. And he's since yes. never worked with cartoons since the brother incident. And it's it becomes this more like he really does want to solve this case. If yeah. if not for Roger, just because he's a detective and it's what he does, um, mm-hmm. and he's starting to learn that he can get, he can he can start liking him, and that that was also I think after the moment where he had that really, really tender moment with Roger telling him about his brother. Yeah, that was and a little this bit is of where exposition. Kind of takes a hard left too, away from I think sort of mirroring Chinatown, where it's like you know obviously if it mirrored Chinatown, this would be a very depressing movie. But <laughs> like instead, it takes this hard left of like you know redemption for his character. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a full character arc, and it it's really it's really fun that a tune took away Eddie Valiant's life, you know, for all intents and purposes, and a tune gave it back to him. Yeah, yeah, and I know we've touched on it a little bit, but just I, like, as a kid, you know, I definitely had a little Roger Rabbit doll, and I just, like, loved him. Like, I think, I don't know, I feel like I was in love with him. I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally saw what Jessica saw. He's just so, the character is just so endearing. Like, I, I love the way he's played because it's, like, he's so crazy, but at the same time, there's like this genuine emotion and heart to the character, which I think must have been really hard to play, you know, because I think you really buy it. You really buy the relationship between um, Eddie Valentine and him. And, you know, you buy that he's truly empathetic and compassionate. Like, I think, I don't know, like, I, I feel like there's another version of this where that could have not worked and we wouldn't have really bought that. But it's just done so well in this movie. Yeah, it's it's Roger. Roger is a very three dimensional character, and he has no right to be like. It, right. It, I say three D. That's <laughs> like not I meant to be a feel pun. That way, like I'm like even when I say it out loud, I'm like kind of embarrassed. But it's true. <laughs> he's like very like I don't know. He's just very. He's just very well fleshed out. You're right. <laughs> yeah, he's he, and this is like a character like that. They're they're always static, right? When you watch him mm-hmm. on a cartoon, like in in real life, you're watching a cartoon. Donald is always Donald. Mickey is always Mickey. Goofy's always doing goofy things. Um, yeah. Up to the Goofy movie where he got really sweet and kind and passionate about something. But like, oh, yeah. that, you know, that, I didn't want to have those feelings. I was like, wait a minute, hold on, no. <laughs> yeah, wait, why? Why <laughs> is this sweet? <laughs> why did this get sweet? Goofy's Goofy. Uh, but yeah. if you go back to that time, like that was that the characters just had what they did, and and mm-hmm. Roger. They gave him that, you know, shooting the the movie, the cartoon at the beginning. That's that's what we we see. But they let mm-hmm. you behind the camera and go, these are real living, breathing characters who have thoughts and feelings and emotions and love, and and there's more to them than just acting, you know, like a crazy person. Like that's what Roger did. That was his DNA, is because he's in the bar when he should be hiding, making a nut of himself just to get people to laugh. That's his. Right. He, he said those people who had all been laid off like this. We haven't even touched on the conspiracy, but oh, like, that's right. Again, another parallel to the other movie where there's like a <laughs> big conspiracy going on. And like, uh, it's just so interesting. It's <laughs> like have had all that just go over my head so many times, but yeah, yeah. I need to watch <laughs> Chinatown now. It's been on my short list for a really long time, but oh my I've never God. seen it's, it. It's yeah. going to blow your mind when you watch it. Like, <laughs> I need really, to there's see it. literally like, yeah, there's also a big conspiracy in that one too. I don't <laughs> want to say anything because it's like I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah. I I want I want to see it because it's like I said, noir like the era is my thing. I just didn't realize till maybe a year ago that Chinatown was a thing I should watch, which is sad because I love Same. movies. I should know about Chinatown. Yeah, but, um, like I feel like yeah. I've vaguely heard about it off and on over the years, but nobody was ever like, you know, you have to see this. This is like, you know, Maltese Falcon level, but yeah. it pretty much is. I mean, it, you, oh. you will enjoy it. Yeah. I love the Maltese Falcon. I'm like a Humphrey Bogart fan. I'm all about that <laughs> stuff. That was great. <laughs> Thanks to Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to, yeah, you're going to have to have me back for Casablanca one day because that's, that's my jam. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. But no, this is, this is, I mean, it, it was just. That character is is just so fully fleshed out, and he shouldn't be. And I I, yeah. I love that they took the time and the care and the attention. It's like it's like they were working on a movie that they that they didn't. They were working on a better movie than than uh, they anyone thought they were. You know, like I agree. Yeah, it's hard. I'm trying to think of how to put that into words, but like there people would see this as oh yeah, this is that cartoon animated thing, and they were like, no, this is a treasure, and we're going to make it with. We're going to use every ounce of talent that we can squeeze out of this studio and we're going to make the best movie we can um mm-hmm. and i feel like in other hands it could have been thrown away but these are visionary people like steven spielberg and, and robert zemeckis visionaries um and they they really took this to heart and tried to make something amazing it nearly killed robert zemeckis this was like the hardest movie ever he's ever I'm tried sure to I make i can't imagine like the pressure and just this is such a crazy idea like i can't even imagine pitching it and at the time at least like it's like it's just overwhelming and like the all the copyright issues that i'm sure that they ran into and just it's a lot and yeah and like i think you know there's another version of this movie where we might have been like well it's technically amazing but it's not a great movie you know like it could have just been about the effects but i think that's something that made a lot of the earlier like robert zemeckis films so impressive is the effects were almost like an afterthought to the story and so it, it really feels like this is very story and character driven and then there's all these amazing effects too yeah, you should, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. You shouldn't pay yeah. attention to the effects. You should be lost in the movie. Jurassic Park does that really well, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's it's got some of the most amazing effects of its time, but you're so immersed in the characters and the story being told that, yes, you're impressed by them, and yes, it's amazing, but the story is what keeps you coming back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't ever go, I can't wait to watch that, you know, I don't even know what CG movie to to talk about, but I I don't watch, (laughs) I don't watch Lord of the Rings to watch New Zealand scenic, you know, (laughs) airline shots or whatever. You know, I I watch it because the story's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree 100%. Yeah, so I, I just... I don't know. This movie is like my favorite thing in the world. And I was so glad <laughs> that you asked me to come on. I've been thinking him. I was like, if I, if she ever invites me, I'm going to have to say probably Roger Rabbit. Cause I haven't watched it in a while. I need a good excuse. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how yeah. that happens, right? Like that's, what's really cool about this podcast to me is that a lot of times I'm, basically forced to sit down and carve out time to watch some of my favorite films that I haven't watched in years. And it's like, it's amazing how there have even been days where I'm like, I don't have time for this, but I got to watch it because I'm about to record. And then I do. And I'm like, why did I have that attitude? Like, this is obviously worth my time and attention. And like, I'm so glad I did this. Like, I I don't know, the older you get, the harder it is to like carve out that kind of you time. And yeah, so yeah, like I'm glad you picked this movie because I really, I really do appreciate it. And just 
it's really fun to go back and deep dive and learn a little more about it, you know. Yeah, it's especially when it's it's that much of a cornerstone to your mm-hmm. your movie life, <laughs> you know, <It's> like <laughs> where it where it sits in that list is so is so high. But man, like all the way up through the end of this thing, um, I'm just I'm glued to it. That that you know the the intensity of everything at the end where they're they're throwing out all these. Man, I wanted a portable hole. oh i know i love that part and you know that's a that's a really (laughs) funny like trope that i really got as a kid because you saw that little hole gag often yes so it's like it comes at the best time and it's just woven into the story but i I think it'd be funny for kids to watch that now and they'd probably be like oh that's clever but they wouldn't have that background of like that's like a that's like a tune thing like oh yeah you're you're waiting for them to throw down a hole because that's something you're expecting so yeah i when i saw that it was like it just made me nostalgic i was like oh i need i need to like go back and watch some looney tunes now <laughs> i know or like even moving the hole like there would be a hole somewhere mm-hmm. and the character would pull it <laughs> like it would just yeah. move like that whole thing and lena hyena the the jessica rabbit look-alike that doesn't look like oh, her oh gosh um, yeah yeah that whole thing like when he when he tears up the 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 line in the road and like throws it at the wall and she follows it <laughs> like that to me, that's that's like your your Chuck Jones cartoons up one side and down the other. That's just how they yeah. work. You know, that's the universe. I, I'm all, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't a moment where someone painted a tunnel with a road and that the, the character just kept going. You know, like right. I remember that trope from uh, from Wile E. Coyote. You know, he'd paint mm-hmm. the big road and hoping the road wanted to run into it and he'd just go through it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's very like, I don't know, like Buster Keaton kind of. Yes. You know, sort of surrealistic comedy. Yeah, it's it, it's great. Yeah, I love this. I love this stuff. I'm, I'm like a Three Stooges kind of fan. Like my wife's like, why is that funny to you? I, I don't know. It just is. <laughs> That's so funny you say that. Growing up, my dad would always say like, Women just don't understand the Three Stooges. As, even as a kid, for some reason, it just didn't gel with me. And he would be like, "Yeah, I, I, this is, you know, your dad's thing." And it's like, it's so funny. I feel like I hear that all the time. Or yeah. like, my wife does not like the Three Stooges. I'm like, I guess I fit that stereotype too. I don't know what it is because, like, there's so many other, you know, Abbott and Costello, and like, yeah, you know, like I said, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. But yeah, I don't know the Three Stooges. That's like a different category. I but just, you know yeah, what? You... you do you. That's fine. I'm not hating on it. <laughs> At all. Somebody just gets <laughs> poked in the eye by their own hand, and I'm just gonna chuckle. I don't, I don't know what the. It's some, it's some deep seated DNA. It's like just, just goes down the male chain, like the physical comedy. <laughs> it must be. Yeah. Let's see. So, were there any other scenes that you were thinking of? Oh man, I, I don't know. I love everything about this movie. <laughs> you know, like the, the weasels dying laughing is, is. Great I love that. To yeah. Me. And that, that to me is a play on words. You know, comedians go out. And they say, oh, I killed tonight, or I'm yeah. knocking him dead. And they use that to be a way to semi-kill a cartoon. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if those weasels are coming back, because I know it you take... It seems like they passed away, which I, I, like, forgot about that. And then when that happens, I'm like, oh, my, like, that's... Ooh, <laughs> and, does... I, and I had a memory of a, as being a kid in, in liking the weasels, even though I knew they were bad. And then when they died, I remember feeling a little sad about it. Like yeah. it, it kind of the joke kind of went over my head, and you know when they said like, "Oh, go out there and kill them or whatever." I, as a kid, I was like, "I don't understand." Yeah. <laughs> so like that was like one part of the movie that 
you know, now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. But <laughs> as a child, I was kind of like, these poor weasels are dying. <laughs> I just, I just had this epiphany. Doesn't that make the Judge Doom that much more sinister? Like, if a tune dies and he goes to Tune Heaven and floats up like an angel, and Judge Judge Doom is dipping them, like, yeah, oh my gosh, he's not only robbing them of their life but their soul. Like, oh, <laughs> he's the worst character that's ever been in. Like, he's he's yeah, he's terrible. He's the worst. Yeah, There's no more evil villain. He's complicated too, because like. Yeah, I, I, I had forgotten about how they, you know, he, he keeps screaming at them, you know, to stop laughing, you'll yeah. die laughing. But you sense that there's some other layer to that, like he truly despises, like, joy. Like, yeah. he hates laughing, and it reminds him that he's a tune, and he hates himself, I guess. Oh, wow. Like, it's just weird. Like, there's, like, a backstory to him I don't quite understand. Like, I get that he's kind of hiding... Because of he killed uh, Eddie's brother, but then he also wants to kill all of Toontown, and it's like, but he's a tune. Like, what's going on with that? Like, I want to know more about <laughs> what, what his motivations are. It's just, it's interesting. I just I picked know. up on that this time. I was like, he's, it's this deep seated like self hatred. I don't know, like what, where does that come from? <laughs> For sure, I want to know who drew him because we know these characters get drawn. Like we know yeah. Jessica Rabbit says, "I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way." Um, like what? Who? Who decided to draw this psycho killer <laughs> cartoon? I read one one rumor, and I think this was just a fan theory, and it was that that Judge Doom was who killed Bambi's mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, like oh my gosh, he's a mass murdering crazy person. Like some animator just got mad and drew this this terrible, terrible character. Yeah. And it's also kind of like when you think about all the violence in early cartoons, like, you know, we had that whole thing happen when we were growing up of like, you know, they were okay for a long time. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we got to start censoring these cartoons are too violent. And I think it's really jarring now to go back and watch some of those earlier cartoons because they are like people are getting drunk, people are <laughs> shooting other people, people are pushing people off of buildings. And so, like, it's really fun and zany and safe, but I guess he's kind of like the version of that, of, like, what it would actually be like and how incredibly scary and unstable that is, you know, like. I don't know. Like, it's yeah. just, it's interesting. Like, I see where you're going. Bad guy. <laughs> yeah, this is a really interesting character study, and I'm pretty sure someone <laughs> could do a PhD master, like, PhD thesis on this. I would like, absolutely the, read that. The fact car <laughs> like cartoon characters and violence and what, who they were. You know, some of these characters <laughs> were just actors, and others took it one step too far. Yeah, um, his, he took his tune nature just a little too far. Yeah, I, I will tell you that that scene with the steamroller haunts your nightmares forever. Like when he gets back up and blows himself up with the helium and his eyes pop out and all that stuff. Oh, God, I not, hated yeah. that when I was little. Like, it's um, it was this movie and then there's another like kind of obscure movie, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Have you ever seen that? Oh, that sounds really familiar. I don't think I okay. have. Okay, well, in that movie, uh, there's a lot of animation in it because... Uh, the bad guy is giving everybody like this hallucinogen and they see all these like horrifying things. And one thing somebody sees is like they're in a church and like they're looking at stained glass and the stained glass like jumps off the wall and like, you know, it's this 2D villain that's going after them. And it's like it was so scary as a kid. It was so like that image and then like this judge 
they just those were like the two scenes that stood out to me so much that just haunted my <laughs> nightmares like it just kind of reminds me of it but yeah it's like I guess like you know the whole movie you're seeing these 2d characters are sort of fleshed out so there's just something really disturbing about seeing him steamrolled and him seeing him flat you know yeah as they should be I guess and then he puffs himself out, and ugh, it's just... Yeah, we never awful. actually get to see what he looks like as a cartoon, which is kind of a bummer, but also I'm glad. Because um, <laughs> he, he melts in his rubber mask and outfit, so you don't oh, ever really right. get to know what he looks like. And that just dawned on me, this this most recent viewing. I thought, we, we don't know. We don't know what he looks like. I, I appreciate that. That's kind of a J.J. Abrams trick, is leave, leave questions because mm-hmm. people people have a lot more fun with questions than answers, so I'm glad they did that. It's just uh, it was it was a cool move. Just go, yeah. eh, does it matter? I don't know. He was a mass murderer. We don't. We know he had red <laughs> eyes. Do we need to give him more attention? Yeah. It's like uh, his death is very you know like Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, Wizard Wizard of Oz. Oz. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I couldn't say that for a second. Uh, it's very like the witch in Wizard of Oz. Like yeah. It, it, and he's even like quoting her. Like he's screaming and dying, but then he's also kind of quoting her. Like so he can't resist. Like because he's a tune, I guess. Like mm-hmm. getting a little joke in as he's being tormented, which. Is interesting, but <laughs> yeah, this this like, more on that character study for you. Yeah. There is why why does he feel like he has to be what he is, even though he doesn't want to be? Yeah, I guess maybe they're held to certain rules, like the way Roger was earlier with the mm. shaving a two pence thing. Oh, but shaving a haircut, yeah, shaving a haircut, yeah. Two um, uh, he, but yeah, when he screamed too, that was also just like it's sort of like cartoonish, but so frightening. Like, ugh, it's just such a crazy death scene. Yeah, that high-pitched voice. I look, man, that shaving a haircut thing, that became the way I knocked on my best friend's door every time I went <laughs> to his house. Every time. It, it, this movie just imprinted itself in my brain. And I I mean, it, it really was one just, I, I burned up the tape. I watched it a million and a half times. I'm sure I could ask my mom right now, and she'd be like, yes, it was always on the TV. <laughs> so you lived in front of this movie. Yeah, like, that's so funny, too, because, um, you know, I had a lot of VHS, VHS tapes growing up. I never burned one out. I've heard you and many of my guests talk about doing that. I've, I never successfully did that, so impressive. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's like a you know, you, Your VCR eventually will eat it, and it'll always be your favorite movie that your VCR eats, and there's just <laughs> no salvaging it when that happens. I know. People today, like, don't, you know, can't sympathize with that, like... No. How sometimes you put in your favorite movie and it'd been a year and it's just like it's like gone. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Oh, I can no longer watch this. Or your <laughs> auto tracking on your VCR doesn't work on that particular movie and you just oh, see static yeah. lines the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I gotta use that tracking button. Maybe you can fix it. Maybe not. <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't thought about auto tracking in like oh a million years. That's like your that's like your or three like, minute did you skip have a rewinder? CD. Oh yeah, the tape rewinder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean that the the VCR. If you they always told us like if you use a rewinder on the VCR, it's really bad for it. So you have to buy this additional <laughs> machine to rewind it with. And it's like when you think about it, like VHS tapes were like so terrible. Like oh, yeah, everything about were... them was like we cannot figure this technology out. It does not work. It's your only <laughs> option. We're sorry. It's all we've got. <laughs> sorry, this is if you want to watch home videos, this is where we're at. 
Unless you want to fool with laser discs, and then that's your problem, you know. Oh my gosh, we recorded so much stuff off TBS. The first time I watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I treasured all your Indiana Jones episodes, by the way. Oh, they were, awesome! They were the I was best. thinking about those because Kara had that story about how like she saw one of the Indiana Jones movies a certain way her whole life, and then <laughs> when, as an adult, she's like, "Oh, it's like missing a whole scene." Yeah, ah. uh, it was. Uh, it was Spaceballs and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade were both TBS specials. That I watched a million. I had no idea there was swearing in Spaceballs for most of my life until I was like 25. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. I remember this movie. What is this? It's like my favorite thing. I had a memory of Spaceballs where I thought that part with the alien popped out was like in the actual Aliens movie. And like as, as I got older, I was like, that was a really silly part of that movie, and it took me a while to realize that that was Spaceballs. <laughs> you just cross the streams in your brain. Yeah, a little I just bit. my brain was like, sure, it's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, oh, okay, they're very, very different. <laughs> it's close enough. Close yeah, enough. close enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's all I've got in terms of like individual scenes that I really loved. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's just. It is hard to pick because all of them are really good. Um, I think you touched on all my favorites, too. So I guess that brings us down to our last couple of questions then. Yeah, yeah, sounds um, like it. Yeah, so uh, why, you know, if you wanted to summarize, why do you love this movie so much and why do you think you've seen it so many times? Because I want cartoons to be real and I want <laughs> to see them walking down the street. And this movie allows me the the suspend i can suspend my disbelief long enough to think that this is possible it's it's very much like the muppets i'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of the muppets Me in too. general and i i don't think i would be shocked if i was walking down the street and i saw kermit the frog and miss piggy just kind of chilling <laughs> like drinking tea at a table somewhere like the, it it creates kermit's an definitely drinking that tea i've seen him. oh oh yeah he's he's totally <laughs> drinking every morning he's drinking his tea uh i i I love this is why we watch movies, right? Is to put ourselves in a in a position where we can just sit and believe this stuff is real. It's it's why people cosplay. It's why, you know, I, I'm obsessed with Indiana Jones and have all this Indiana Jones hats and crap all over my house. It's <laughs> it's because I wanna believe that that's possible. Like that that could be a real thing. There you could you can do all this thing. So I like I like that this movie allows me that privilege of seeing a world where characters that I love are walking around doing things, normal things that normal people would do. Yeah. I, you know, for me, like growing up, I would say my first love, you know, I love movies, but my first love was probably animation. Um, I strongly considered as a kid going into animation. I thought about voice acting. I was obsessed with animation for a long time. And so I like this movie because it's like, yeah, it's like, what if that world was real? I was obsessed with Looney Tunes, as I've mentioned tons of times on this show. I, you know, used to go to the Warner Brothers store and just stare at all the cell art and think like, <laughs> oh, if only I had the money, I would buy all of these. Like, it's, it's kind of a moment in time that I'm sort of nostalgic for, I feel like has passed a little bit, you know, it makes me sad that um, some of these characters are just not in the like zeitgeist anymore. I'm hoping that they find a way to bring them back because they're just so awesome. But um, yeah, I just love film. I love comedy. And I just think this movie did both of those things really well. So I highly recommend. Uh, What is your elevator pitch? Like, how do you, what would you tell the new generation, I guess? Like, what's so great about this movie? 
Oh geez, I would just I would just tell them you ever want to hang out with cartoon characters and also watch a really cool mystery movie? This is the thing to do. You know, I don't I don't know how I pitch it to my my son's four and a half. Like he's almost to that age where I'd let him watch it. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's about that time. It's about time to start cracking open the dad's vault, you know. And my, <laughs> the shoebox in my closet is full of Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, and Roger Rabbit. Uh, and be like, here's here's this. Take this legacy and and learn from it. <laughs> um, and I, I would I would just man, I just tell him it's it's worth a watch just to to see see some see a piece of art come to life. You know, I I, I don't I don't know that they'll ever get it. And I think some of that we touched on in that that the the animation's so different these days and Looney Tunes is not a thing people watch and I I want this movie to be special for the next generation um but at the same time I hope they get something of their own um I I I love that we're rehashing a lot of this stuff and that Hollywood's kind of making some cool stuff out of these remakes but I kind of want them to to step up and and try something like this again something original that that kids today would that would capture their imagination to the same degree and i could go sam this movie to you is like roger rabbit was to me and and then we could bond on that level that would be super cool oh yeah i really like that i think yeah i think that you know this movie a lot of those other films that you mentioned like when we talk about like indiana jones you know that was really a love letter to serial movies adventure like swashbuckling type films so you end up really loving that movie, even not having that background. You know, when yeah, I saw Indiana Jones, I didn't know what it was referencing. But so in the same way, I think, you know, uh, this movie is really a love letter to old Hollywood and it's a love letter to noir and um, and to older cartoons. So I guess there's some crossover there. Like, you know, maybe they'll see what's so beautiful about that and, uh, you know, why that's so, that's such a passion. It kind of introduced them to that world. Um, but yeah, I would just say it's a love letter to a lot of those things and it's really good and it's entertaining and they should check it out. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a better pitch than I would have. Oh, I will no. keep you, I will keep you posted on, uh, when I, when I let <laughs> Sam, my son, watch this, watch this yes. movie, I'll be like, it worked or it didn't work. <laughs> uh, we did watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids the other night, and it worked. So, oh God, I loved that movie. Yeah. Uh, so there's magic. So there's magic still in these old, these old cassette or these old videotapes. <laughs> I mean, we watched it on Amazon. Who are we kidding? Yeah. But, you didn't have the VHS tape anymore, but yeah, but it worked. It didn't come with the Who Framed Roger Rabbit or the the Roger Rabbit cartoon in the front on Amazon. So shame on you, Amazon, <laughs> for not including oh. that. Uh, but you're right. It was in front of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, just the old yeah. tape. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I'm so glad you picked this movie and that you took time out to to record with me tonight. Um, where can people find you? Uh, people can pretty much head over to legionofdorks.com uh, to find links to to all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm always streaming on on Twitch sometimes during the week. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Two Dorks TV. Uh, but you'll find you'll find those links at legionofdorks.com. And we do our podcast, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, live every Thursday night uh, around 8.30. Between 8.30 and 9 p.m. we'll start. And it is a, a rip-roaring good time. We have, a, we have a lot of laughs. We have a lot of fun. Uh, so you can always tune in live or just subscribe to it. Uh, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades on every podcasting service you can find. Uh, we're the one with the two animated characters because someone else decided to make a Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast 
10 years after we made ours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I don't know if they didn't check, but uh but yeah, we're the we're the two. We're the one with 470 plus episodes. So Okay. Check okay. us out. Got to go back and listen to those. So Yeah. Yeah, well thank you so much for coming on and you definitely need to like pick your next movie and you need to come back. This was a lot of fun. Sweet. I'll be thinking about it. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate you having me. 